Good morning, afternoon church. Good to see you all. Um, Fantastic. So does anyone know why today is significant if next Sunday is Easter? It's Palm Sunday. Thanks, Steve. It's Palm Sunday today, um, which is the day when Jesus walked, well, rode in to Jerusalem on a donkey and everybody finally recognized him as being the king and worshipped him and said, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed be the king. Um, So, yes, I think that's really significant that we spent time this morning doing that. And um, Emma read that amazing um, passage in Revelation. What chapter was it? Five, chapter five in Revelation, um, where Jesus was getting all the honor and glory that he deserves because he is the Lord, he is the king, Jesus is Lord. Amen? Amen. Yes, we all agree that. Um, And that is what I'm going to be speaking about today. Um, And I'm going to, firstly, I'm going to look at um, Jesus being Lord of the Sabbath. And I kind of want to study that a little bit so that we can kind of get an essence of um, Jesus, um, the principle that we learn from that, and then I'm going to apply that to our whole life. Um, So, yes, God, I just pray that you will bring your scriptures alive in people's hearts today as we go through them, and that you will um, just continue to be Lord of our lives this morning. Amen. Okay, so the idea of the Lord being Lord of the Sabbath, I found it really fascinating recently because I realized that that is actually mentioned in every single gospel. And when something is mentioned in every single gospel, I think it's worth taking note that God is trying to show us something. Um, So it's talked about in Matthew 12, verse 1 to 8. It's talked about in Mark chapter 2, verse 23 to 28. Also in Luke 6, 1 to 5. I'm telling you this in case you want to make notes to do further study. We're only going to look at Mark. um, But just so that you know that it's in Matthew 12, Mark 2, Luke 6. And then it's referred to in John 5, 16. They don't go through the story of how that came about when Jesus said, I am am the Lord of the Sabbath. But it references the fact that he did say it. Um, And I think that's really important for us to notice that... um, God must be trying to tell us something, and there's a real valuable kingdom principle we can learn from that. So let's go ahead and look at Mark 2. Um, I'm going to read it from the NIV first, and then we'll look at it in a different translation to pull out different things. I've chosen Mark 2 simply because it is the most succinct version. It says it in the least amount of words, so that's why I've chosen it. I'm not going to lie. Um, All right, so starting from verse 23 in chapter 2. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the cornfields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some ears of corn. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, He entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Um, And that is quite a shock for 
both the disciples and the Pharisees to hear that not only is he um, referring to himself in terms of Lord, um, but he is saying that he is the Lord of the Sabbath and that the Sabbath is no longer about a day and a time and a law that they have to abide by. Um, I found it really interesting what it said in... um, It was my birthday last week, and I got a new Bible. This is the Passion Translation. Thanks, Mum. And I really like it. Dave says it's not a real translation. I don't really know about that, but I know that it really helps to draw out passages, especially passages that you know really well. Um, It just brings it to life somehow because it's said in a slightly different way. And the aim of it is that it draws out the heart of what's being said, the passion behind what was written in the Bible. So I really like it. Um, The the verdict is out of whether it's a translation or not, but we're going to read it today and you can decide. So I'm going to read the same scripture, Mark 2. From verse 23. Um, And in here it says, One Saturday, on the day of rest, Jesus and his disciples were walking through a field of wheat. The disciples were hungry, so they plucked off some heads of grain to eat. But when some of the Pharisees saw what was happening, they said to him, Look, your disciples shouldn't be harvesting grain on the Sabbath. Jesus responded, Haven't you ever read what King David and his men did when they were hungry? They entered the house of God when Abiathar was high priest and ate the sacred bread of God's presence. They violated the law by entering bread that only the priests were allowed to eat. But there is one here who is even greater than the temple. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for the sake of people and not people for the Sabbath. For this reason, the Son of Man exercises his lordship over the Sabbath. I think that's amazing because it really draws out for me the idea that the Sabbath was, um, and the rituals and the laws that were put in place were put there for the sake of, of people. That's not, um, it's not the, the people, not people for the Sabbath. Um, And I think that's really, it really draws that to life in that passage. The Sabbath was made for the sake of people and not people for the Sabbath. Um, And then it says, the reason the Son of Man exercises his lordship, for this reason, the Son of Man exercises his lordship over the Sabbath. So this is saying that the God is Lord. He is king. He is ruler. He is sovereign over absolutely everything, including the Sabbath and the rituals. Um, So he's kind of saying there, for the Pharisees, I am Lord over the law. And for them, that would have been really hard-hitting because the... Um, they were really trying hard to fulfill this Sabbath. And the whole point of Sabbath is to find rest. Um, And we know that and we see that. I'm going to look through some scriptures where the heart of the Sabbath and the reason for it, the core reason for it, was to find rest and to just be with God. Um, And somehow, through the law and the rituals and the practices that got put in place, that kind of got turned more into an act of doing and an attitude of the fear of doing something when we should be being in it. It changed the heart attitude and it had become about rituals rather than the whole point, which was just to completely rest. Um, And I think that's kind of what we see over and over in in the law and why the law could never be our real 
um, way of meeting with God because it becomes about what we do and not about the heart behind it. And so Jesus says, no, you find your rest in me. And that is a concept, finding our rest in God himself, that goes beyond this. Um, That's something that we see throughout scripture. Um, If we look at Psalms, there's... um, Get rid of the passion now. I've moved on back to the NIV. Um, Psalms 62, verse 1. Truly, my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from him. So David knew about this in the Psalms. That is where we find our true rest. And then in Psalm 91, we all know this scripture. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. It's in God that we find our rest. And yet, this, when Jesus was there, he saw that people weren't finding their rest in God. They were finding their rest in trying to do things and thinking it was through doing things that they were going to find their rest Um, which is not what it's about because in God that we find our rest. And then if we jump all the way back through scripture, we see it right at the beginning in Genesis, the beginning of Genesis, chapter 2. Let me just get there, sorry. Genesis chapter 2, verse 2. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So we know that rest is good, and just putting that out there, even though we don't necessarily see Sundays as our day of rest, it's really important that we rest and we stop the work and we say, and we just take a moment away from it to be with God. The whole point is to stop doing and be with God. And that is God's heart for us. That was his heart for the Jews at the time, that they stopped doing all these things, and they were just able to be with God. And that is the kingdom principle that we find through um, all those scriptures. And what the point that God is trying to make is that um, that our rest is in Jesus because he is the Lord. The rest is found in him. Everything is found in him because he is the king of our kingdom. He is the ruler over everything. Um, And so it no longer becomes about the day and the practicalities and the doing or the fear of not doing, which it was for the Pharisees. Um, But it becomes about just simply being and letting that go to be with God, dropping things to be with God. Um, And so that is the kind of the kingdom principle that I think that we see in that scripture. Um, So we're going to turn now to Romans 10. I'm going to read Romans 10 from verse 9. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess and are saved. 
As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Isn't that fantastic? Jesus is Lord. That is, it says that when we do that, when we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, that that is how we find salvation. And I'm assuming that is what everybody in this room has done at some point, confessed that Jesus is Lord and had the faith to live in light of that. Um, Now for us, that doesn't seem like a very... um, serious thing to say. We can say that quite easily. Jesus is Lord of my life. Yes, hallelujah. We sing it every Sunday when we're here and we pray it when we pray to our God. Um, But back then, that was quite a significant thing because in the Jewish culture, the word Lord um, wasn't really ever even used as a word. It was such a revered word to talk about their God, their Lord, um, that they wouldn't even use the word. Um, they decided to come up with some symbols like or something. I'm not even going to try and say it. Um, but they, it, which eventually turned into Jehovah as we've tried to figure out how to pronounce it and say it. And we've turned it into um, something else. But when it started, the whole point was that it was so holy, it wasn't speakable. Um, and so they changed it to Jehovah so that nobody had to say the word Lord because it was too um, holy to say. And so in Jewish culture, it was the Lord is so revered. Um, and so for Jesus to call himself Lord was to say that I am Lord of the Sabbath was quite a shock um, to the culture there. Um, and also after his death, um, when the disciples were declaring that Jesus was Lord of their life, the reason why it was so radical was because um, they were living in a time when Caesar was trying to say that, you know what, I don't care who you worship, as long as you also worship me. He wanted to live in this world. He wanted to create this kingdom where everyone is allowed to worship whoever they want, but you all have to recognize and worship me. And Christians couldn't say that because they said, no, Jesus is Lord, nobody else. We are not going to compromise on that. And it is in that state where they um, were so convinced that there is only one God and one way to God, and it's Jesus because he is Lord. That's when the persecution came in, and that is why they were persecuted so much. And if you compare that to the church that is around at the moment, the underground church in China, if you analyze that and look at that, you start to see that it's exactly the same thing that is happening, that the church is growing, yet they're being persecuted. The reason they're being persecuted is because they will not stop declaring that Jesus is Lord. And for them, that goes beyond just the words that has implications. Those words for them have implications. It means that they can't conform to what their situation is trying to make them conform to and do. It doesn't, it doesn't sit well because they can't do it because they can only declare that Jesus is Lord. Um, and so people, so the nation of China tried to shut that down because they can't have that. And that is where the church is thriving. And I just think that's really important to notice that it's when people who are passionate enough about Jesus being Lord, that it's that that becomes the overall story of their life, that nothing else comes into play in their life. Nothing else is worshipped or adored in their life um, other than Jesus. 
that is when people, um, the, the world tries to persecute them because they can't have that. And that is where the church thrives, which is what we've seen if you study all of history. Um, but you see it so clearly in Acts. And the exact same thing is happening in China right now. And the thing that is true to both those situations is that they will not compromise on saying that Jesus is Lord. And it means so, so much to them. And I think it's made me realize, what am I missing here? What am I not applying to my life as Jesus being Lord over my whole life? Um, And I really think that that is something that we need to catch hold of, catch a new revelation of what Jesus is Lord of my life actually means. Um, Let's turn to Colossians 2. Verse 6. In Colossians 2, verse 6, it says, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in him as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Verse 6 again. Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. That is what we've been called to do to every second of our life, all the time, continually living our lives in him. Not just when we come to church on a Sunday morning that Jesus is Lord of our lives, um, all the way through the week, continually, never ending. Um, I've been thinking recently about my health journey. This is thanks to Esther. Esther, she she encouraged me the other week to talk more about it. Um, and so this is her fault, so you can blame her afterwards. Um, I Yeah, so I after I had the kids, I decided I was going to do something about my um, the fact that I'd got slightly overweight, um, four stones, overweight to be exact, and um, said, okay, I'm going to make a difference here. I'm going to change my lifestyle, and I'm going to get healthy. I made that declaration of faith. <laughs> and if I, that was the only time that I did that, when I first made that decision, and they didn't actually live out the truth of that and actually do something about it and work darn hard, might I just say, um, to do something about that continually throughout the last four years, then I wouldn't be, I wouldn't have lost all that weight that I did lose. It was um, through continually having to make those decisions, those really hard decisions to actually do something about it. It had to be part of my whole life. It was the whole journey that I had to go on. And it's a slow journey and it's a continual journey. It never ends um, because it has to be, um, you have to keep making those decisions. Um, And one thing I do want to say is that just like in a Christian life, it's not easy and we fail. I fail. I have failed many, many times. I can't stand here today and say that I have been the perfect. If I had not messed up ever since I made that decision those four years ago to get healthy, if I had done everything I needed to do, never 
an ounce of sugar, did absolutely everything I should have done, I would probably have a six-pack and be entering into the Olympics because, there is, um, because I have worked really hard. But I've also had lots of failures, and it's been a slow journey. And I can tell you, last week, um, my moment of confession, last week I got stuck in the car park in the offices at King's Church where we work. It's very easy to get stuck in the car park there, Steve will know, because the van, the, it's like you know, King's house, it backs onto all the takeaways and all the companies there. So it's often got vans loading and unloading. So I was leaving at five o'clock. I was very hungry and tired. And I got stuck and I chatted to the man and he was like, oh no, I'm going to be about another 15 minutes. And so I was on the phone to Dave like, ah. And then um, I was like, do you know what, Dave? I've got loads of Easter eggs here left over from Kids and Cake. <laughs> And so I was like, I'm just going to eat one. And so I sat in the car park chowing down this huge Easter egg all on my own, um, which for me is actually quite shocking. <laughs> and I felt really ill afterwards. Um, but I just was like, I'm just going to do it. <laughs> I completely regretted it afterwards. But I'm just saying it happens. I fail on my health journey, uh, even though I've done well and I've lost a lot of weight. It doesn't mean that it's always been perfect. And I do think that's true of our Christian life as well. It's okay to fail. It happens. Nobody's pretending that our journey since the day we made that decision to make Jesus our Lord, nobody's claiming, that I know of anyway, is claiming that it's been a sweet ride and it has been perfect that whole way. We've messed up. Life happens. We react badly and we fail. And that is just a given but it doesn't mean that we stop trying. It doesn't mean that the journey in general isn't moving forward. Even if we put on a few pounds over Easter, it doesn't mean that I'm going to continue. Uh, I'm not going to continue to try and to keep my health goals as a priority. Um, because after all, this is what God gave me to look after in this world. This is the first thing he ever gave me to look after. And so I want to try really hard to do my best to show him and glorify him um, with it and show him that I can do, I can do, make it the best thing that it can be for him. Health preach over. Sorry, not sorry. Um, but I really, I want us to consider the idea that Jesus is Lord. It takes over our whole life. And it has to be a continual, continual decision. And making that one um, statement when on the day that we got saved, that Jesus is Lord, does not then mean that he will continue. He, um, you are seeing him as Lord of your life throughout every day. It's a constant, constant journey that we go on. Um, another thing I've noticed with um, kind of people going on a health um, regime is sometimes um, people want a really, you know, perfect structured diet. They'll try something like I've heard of people who um, will fast for half the day and then eat after a certain time. Um, and it works really well. They put this structure in place. It becomes a huge, harsh discipline. And it gets put in place. And it's great for the first week, two weeks, month. But then after that, the body clocks onto it and figures out how to readjust itself. And it doesn't last. And even though they're trying to do this stuff because they've put this structure in place, um, it doesn't last because um, the heart of it has gone. And the, their motivation has gone. And it doesn't last. Um, and I think sometimes with the structures that we put in place in our life, in church, um, 
they can become just that, just structures. Whereas when they were created, they're created to be beautiful tools to help us engage with God and help us to be with God. Um, they can end up becoming just structures and chores that we do. Um, and I'm really passionate. And I'm sorry that you ended up with young pastors who are still really passionate about changing our lives and running as fast as we can towards our God and Savior. But that is what I am passionate about. I'm passionate that we don't just get stuck in a rut of church, of our Christian walk with God. It doesn't just become something um, that we add onto our list of hobbies that we do, but it actually shakes up our whole life and it radically looks different to the person who's looks, who sits next to you in the office because in every decision you make, you are also declaring that Jesus is Lord over that decision. Um, So I want to go back to Colossians 2. Um, Let's just look at that list that they say there um, of helpful ways that we can look at, that we can do to live our lives in Jesus. It says, be rooted, be built up, be strengthened in the faith that you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Um, So I just want you to think for a second about how these things are being done in your life. I'm pretty convinced that the majority of people in this room are very, very rooted in their faith, been Christians a long time, know the word, are very, very rooted. Um, But have we spent much time recently being built up in our faith, being encouraged and strengthened? Um, We know as Christians that life happens that if we think of it an analogy of a building, that a building is there, it gets built, you put in the bricks once, that's great. But life happens, it gets weathered, and it gets worn down by the use of the people in it. It just gets generally worn down, and we'll need some work on it at some point. It needs to be rebuilt at some point. Just even if you have a happy life in it, it's going to need work on it eventually. You can't rely on the original building forever. At some point, it's going to need work on it. It needs to be rebuilt. And then, that's not including all the actual hardships that come in life. We know that we are under constant attack. We are in a battle And if we are not rebuilding those things that have been shaken down and broken down um, when we've been through really difficult times, if we're trying to survive off our original time when we got built up or the one conference that we go to a year, if we're relying on that as building us up for the whole year, then when things get broken down, you're not going to be as strong as you could be to face life. Um, And I think it's really important that we are continually building up encouraging each other in the word, being around other Christians who can encourage us. Um, It's really hard to, um, well, I was looking at those marathon runners last week. Was it last Sunday? We had the marathon near where we live, um, and it completely takes over our end of Manchester. (coughs) But it's amazing seeing all those runners. We saw a few of them, and they only had like a few miles left to go, and they were still going, and... um, 
what was amazing was there were so many people stood on the sidelines cheering them on and encouraging them. And you could sometimes you could see that someone was about to go to a walk and then suddenly this man on the megaphone thing was shouting encouraging words and they'd carry on a bit further and keep going. And it just showed me the power of encouragement. We can't and we were never made to go through this life alone. It's really, really important that we create situations where we have other Christians around us building us up, strengthening and strengthening us in the faith, um, and overflowing with thankfulness, having a a heart of thankfulness. Um, But I just want us to think about that because that is what the heart of Connect is, our Connect meetings. The heart behind Connect is that we are inside each other's lives, that we are getting rooted, that we are building up and strengthening each other in our faith and in our life. But if connect just becomes something of a burden um, and and the structure just becomes um, part of routine that gets forgotten or not forgotten um, and it feels like a, a give or take situation, then that connect is just becoming a structure that isn't working and has lost its true purpose and heart. Connect isn't is supposed to be the um, the way that we are giving you a tool as a church to disciple each other. It is not the only way that we should be discipling each other as a church. So if connect is something that you are not able to connect with and be involved in, <coughs> then I'm, I wonder where, how you're making this, these verses relevant and, in, and making sure that Jesus is staying Lord of your life because that is what we care about. I don't really care. I do care, but I don't, if you are not coming to connect yet you are having real um, encouraging relationships and you've got somebody that you meet with every week and you're praying and you're being discipled with, um, then that is fantastic. That is what I want. I want the fruit of discipleship, not just numbers at connect. And I really, um, I want us to just, um, just think about this and we're as we said in March we stopped connect Um, we've been doing a few different things and they've been excellent and people have been really blessed by all the different programs we've run we've run different courses people have been able to dip in and out of them and I know we've and I've been really blessed by them and that's been fantastic Um, but we wanted to just have a break from that and just stop and go back to the heart of why we do connect What's the point of connect? Is it just to tick a box that we're a church and we have to do connect? Or is it more than that? Is it that we're trying to make sure that everybody in the church is keeping Jesus as the Lord of their life and how we can ensure that we are helping people to do that? Um, and it can't ever look like just one thing for every person. I know that it's, we've seen that in Longsight. We've tried so many different things in Connect since we started, and we've never quite found our sweet spot. Um, and that doesn't mean that we just stop completely, because this is what God has called us to do. He has called us to be with each other and encourage each other and sharpen each other in our faith. We're not just called to see each other on a Sunday with our perfect smiles and our, yes, my life is fine, thank you, and then go away. We're called to be deep in each other's lives, encouraging each other, strengthening each other um, through the hard times and the good times. Um, so we, as a leadership team, have just been really praying into this and thinking about what we could, how we could get the heart of Connect into our church culture um, 
And I don't actually, we've not actually got a perfect answer to that yet, but um, because we're still working on it and we're still praying about it. But we want to make sure that you're aware of that and that you catch that heart. We're really passionate that Jesus, that we don't come and consume God and we sit and be like, okay, what's church got for me this week? We were never asked to consume God, but God asked to consume us. And that is um, what we're passionate about, that we don't just become a church that sits back and expects everything to be given to them, but we're a church that pursues God and runs after God and gives him everything we've got. Um, We are not, a church was never meant to be, look like um, a consumeristic society that we live in. That is not what church was called to. Church was called to be radical, and it was called to say that Jesus is Lord of all, nothing else. Um, so um, I think all we can say at the moment in, in terms of um, how we want to help us as a community in Connect is that there's going to be a lot less um, structure about it. It's going to be more on the onus of how, what you decide to make of Connect. Um, so we'll, have, we'll probably have a topic per month, and so it's up to you how often you engage with that topic. If Wednesday evenings are actually working perfectly for you, then that is amazing. You can meet every single Wednesday evening to study um, the notes, the topic that we give on that Wednesday evening, and that is fantastic. But if Wednesday evenings hasn't worked for you, then that's okay too. Let's find a place and a time when you can meet on a Saturday morning with the kids all running wild and you can um, study the word of God then. Our heart is that we are studying the word of God together, strengthening each other and building ourselves in the faith, having chance to fellowship, pray into each other's needs and read the word of God together. That is the heart. And so it might look different um, to us just giving one way of doing it, um, but we don't just want you to, we want to kind of take that kind of, the idea that it's all about us and the, and the routines and the structures and the programs that we put on, um, because it's not, it's about your faith and how much that Jesus is Lord of your life and how much you're working towards making sure that is a constant thing. Um, so yeah, so I just want us to continue um, to look at Colossians. I mean, reading the whole of Colossians is just an inspiration in terms of walking um, our faith out um, wholeheartedly. But I just want you to just silently for a few moments, just ask God to speak to you about those two verses in Roman, in Colossians 2. And I just ask Holy Spirit to come and excite us about these things. Excite us about what it would look like if we really took hold of this. God hasn't asked us these, asked or given us these guidelines as a chore. Um, these are here because he knows that they're best for us. He knows what is best for us. He knows that when we feed our bodies fruits and vegetables and get our heart pumping, that that is the best thing for us. That is why we do it.
So God, right now, I just pray that you'll show us how we can ensure that when we that said on the day that we got saved, that you are Lord of our life, that we are continuing to live that out every single day, keeping you, Jesus, and Lord, King and Ruler. We want everything we do to be from you and in you. We want all our rest to be found in you, God. We want to make the most of the spiritual life that you've given us. We want to sharpen ourselves and strengthen ourselves and build ourselves up so that we are ready to face what this world has to offer us. We want to be the best army that you have ever had. We want to be so ready. We thank you, God, that you gave us each other, that you made us a body, and that we all have our own things to bring, and we are all equal in your eyes. But God, on this Palm Sunday, we just say that, God, you truly are worthy of all our praise. You are the king of this thro- of, on the throne. And yet you've called us into your family. You've adopted us as heirs of your throne. And we are so grateful, God. We're so passionate, God, with the love that you've given us. And we declare this morning, God, that you are Lord of our lives. Amen. Amen. Amen.